Everybody for Cryptocurrent, I'm Stephen Miller, and you are watching the Aftershock, the show where we give you the latest and greatest in the world of Web3. And this week on the Aftershock, we are wrapping up 2023 in style with our predictions episode. So we hope you are excited to be joining us for this big time episode of the show. And of course, I wouldn't be doing this without my partner in crime, my co-host Richard Carthon. Richard, how are you doing? Sup, everybody? Doing good. Uh, we're wrapping up the year. It's been an eventful year, and we're going to cover a lot of that today. So I'm not even going to spoil any of that, but excited to be here today. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Um, I think that there is a lot going on in the news. I think that we need to get people caught up on that really quick before we dive too deep into the predictions. But there's a lot ahead in this show. Um, we've packed in a ton of content for you. So please make sure you're subscribed over on YouTube so you can follow along with us live or make sure that you are following us on your favorite podcast platform of choice. We're going to dive right in though to this week's Aftershock and get you caught up on all the latest news before we jump into these predictions. So let's dive in. The Aftershock. All right, at the top of the Web3 lightning round this week, we have only one top story. And it's the only top story I think anybody's talking about right now. And that is that SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried, has officially been arrested and officially charged with conspiracy, wire fraud, and money laundering by the U.S. Justice Department and securities violations by the SEC. Now, it doesn't stop there, folks. It's a lot more fun. Uh, but on the surface here, Rich, like, what do you think of the story? Because it happened very, very fast. It happened very quickly. And um, one, this needed to happen. I didn't believe it was going to happen at first. Uh, but... Uh, someone mentioned something uh, a couple of days ago before this happened, and it made me go, huh, that was a good point. A couple of weeks back, if you've been listening to our Aftershocks, we covered uh, our, we, we spoke on, I believe, how the head person, Caroline, over Alameda was spotted in New York. And we're like, what's happening? Because she fled from Hong Kong to Dubai because there's no jurisdiction. Well, she showed up in New York and there was a picture of her at like a Starbucks or something and was verified it was her. And we're like, well, that's dumb. Why would she be in the States? Well, we figured it out. She got a deal. She was cutting a deal and she was doing everything possible, uh, probably to get Sam behind bars. And so here we are full circle. And um, I, I know we were both pessimistic about Sam being put in jail, uh, but he, he is potentially serving up to 115 years. So good luck. Yeah, good luck indeed. Um, I do want to make sure that I make it known the statement about Ellison making a deal is not entirely uh, corroborated at this point, but it's safe to assume that if she's back in the States, that's why she would be back in the States. So just want to make sure that part of it is out there for people. But there have been a couple other trickle-down details that have come out since. The biggest of the two other details, it's more, like the more important of the two, is that Canada has officially moved to ban crypto leverage and require exchanges to segregate user funds. That is no small thing. Okay, like that is a very, very big deal that they're making those types of moves and they're making them quickly. Um, I do not expect the United States to move as fast as Canada is in this sense, because frankly, their government is, I mean, like very, very left-leaning. Like they don't allow like the populace to make any type of contribution towards lawmaking proposals or anything. It's just all in the lawmakers and they do it on the fly. 
So I'm not surprised that they made the move quickly, but that is the two big moves that come out of it. In addition to that, though, you had a big report come out that I think is the funnier part of it. That the FTX inner circle, like the team that runs FTX, reportedly had a group chat named Wire Fraud. It's like you can't make this shit up. Um, between the two stories, obviously, you want to just sit there and laugh at the latter. Uh, but Richard, would you like to speak to either of these real quick before we move the, sh- the show forward? Something that I think is important that Canada is doing. And when we look at what happened on these multiple Black Swan events that happened this year between uh, Celsius, Three Arrows Capital, BlockFi, FTX, etc. It's all because they overlevered themselves. So requiring exchanges to one, segregate user funds, just period, and to be able to then show proof of reserves just for that side, and then also making sure that uh, not being able to over leverage or use any leverage at all, that is, I mean, that's that's some hardcore regulation, but it's also ensuring safety is put in place to not run into these issues again. I don't know that it's the ultimate solution, but to immediately solve what has repeatedly happened here, I think it addresses it. Yeah, look, I'm not going to like sit here and think for a second that it's a bad thing that they're banning crypto leverage, right? Because leverage has been the thing that has constantly killed everyone throughout the Black Swans. Um, I think the thing that is really surprising to me about it is just in therein that it was so fast. Okay, like this is probably the fastest regulatory response that we've seen to anything out of FTX or really anything out of even the Luna crisis, right? So to me, this is a really big deal. Um, But I do want to go ahead and share one piece of very quick breaking news that is Web3 lightning round related. By the time you at home see this, it will not be breaking news, but we just found out that PayPal has officially announced a partnership with MetaMask. So there will be some developments there over the course of the holiday season. So just in time to put that gift under the tree for you, we have found out that PayPal will be in fact working on securing better payment solutions and better, faster crypto funding for your MetaMask wallet. So interesting. Oh my gosh. So with that breaking news, it makes sense why MetaMask changed policy a while back and is now starting to track a lot more. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's... There's a lot of sense to it, and I don't want to dive too deep into it, but yeah, they're they're trying to really push the letter of everybody, look at us. We are super compliant. There's nothing to see here. Um, yeah, I, I think that's really the the cusp of it, but I also think they're going to get more bigger partnerships by pushing that narrative. It's almost like they have to. Uh, but let's go, let's go ahead into... Um, this week's edition of Last Week in the Metaverse and just steamroll through some of the big headlines for you. At the top, um, on December 10th, there is a new block, uh, not blockchain, a new uh, NFT marketplace that is just taking the world by storm. And it's called Blur. It's pitching itself as the NFT marketplace for pro traders. And the reason why I was about to say that there's a new top dog in town, it's because of this exact headline. They've officially smashed through 26,169 ETH on December 10th, 
which was 4.6 times more than OpenSea's volume on that date. Richard, that is no small feat. Okay, like that is that is an insane number. Um, and granted, their numbers have been probably a little bit inflated on the fact that it's all probably tied to um, Blur's upcoming token drop because they're right now working on an airdrop for their users um, that will be coming in the first part of next year. It's really fascinating to me, though, the fact that they've had the amount of adoption as quickly as they have. So I like what I'm seeing over there. It's a no-fee platform. What do you think of the story real quick? Gotta love no fees. People are going to flock to that. Period. Uh, it's a race to the bottom. Usually when you see stuff like this and OpenSea's been wishy-washy with a couple of things, even, to, you know, we talked about royalties last week. If Blair comes in and starts taking away market share and putting no fees, race to the bottom. Yep. And look, if you can use Blur, one of the cool things about it is that you can also choose your fee. So if you want to actually extend them a transaction fee on your sale or on your purchase, actually no, it's on your sale because the buyer doesn't pay the... Yeah, whatever. If you're going, if you're willing to, on the sale, give them a percentage as a transaction fee, they will in fact pay that back to you in the future by way of increasing your airdrop to some degree. So it's interesting that they're kind of like setting it to whatever level you want to. And what I think is really cool is like, this is an example they took out of the music industry. Um, because I think it was probably two decades ago now, or almost three decades ago now, which is insane to think. But there was a band out there um, called Tool. And Tool was known for being pretty anti-establishment, right? Like they don't like the typical you know, framework that was the music industry. So what they decided to do is they decided to drop one of their records on a pay what you think we deserve type of uh, mechanism. So you could go up to their website and pay them whatever you wanted to for that record. Or you could just download it for free. So to me, this is kind of the comp. And I think that you're going to see a lot more players in the space start to take on this model. But it's going to allow them to incrementally grow their transaction fee over time without destroying the amount of market share they, they, that they ultimately capture. So I'm excited about it. I think Blur is a great option in the market, but let's head into our next story. And that is that OpenSea is now moving to support NFT drops on six new chains, including Binance and Polygon. Now, this is a really big deal because up until now, you've known that you can go and buy NFTs on all these different chains. But now you can also mint them across multiple chains. So it just it opens up a lot more doors. And to me, it's going to make onboarding a lot easier. So I'm excited to see where this one goes. But I want to, again, just pile forward because this is a very straightforward story. This one is an interesting one. Uh, why don't you go ahead and take this one, Richard? Threaded users have now minted 5 million plus NFT avatars. A couple months back, we dropped how Reddit uh, dropped their uh, NFT marketplace. Now quickly, uh, the, they had such significant volume just because of the sheer amount of people within the Reddit communities. And so they're they're continuing to grow even faster. And I wouldn't be surprised if they become, you know, one of the largest NFT marketplaces to co to, to compete. Yeah, I'm pretty convinced at this point that like Reddit is going to be one of the most significant players in onboarding people into NFTs because they've done it just so insanely fast. It, it has happened basically overnight. I played around with the system for the very first time the other day and got to mint a Reddit avatar that featured 
like FIFA World Cup um, traits. It was it was a really clean experience. It was super easy to do, um, and I think people are enjoying it. So that's going to continue to onboard more users. I'm excited to see that, and it's an immense amount of users in basically no time at all. So let's jump to our second to last. Oh no, it is our last story in last week in the metaverse, and that is that the, the co-founder of Cool Cats has announced he will be stepping back from daily operations. It's not. It's not like this is the end of the world. Because again, they just brought on a brand new exec to take over as CEO. I think a lot of projects are going to see this sort of thing happen over time. That like the as they've become blue chip, right? They need to bring on people that are more equipped to run these projects as businesses, right? It's not just we can go on doing what we did forever and just roll out another PFP or roll out some expansion collection. There needs to be a revenue model. There needs to be a business. And for Cool Cats to do more successful things, they needed to bring on that CEO who had prior experience with Disney and um, I believe it was Vivi. I'm probably wrong. I think it was a different company now that I'm saying that out loud. But either way, used to working with major scale IP. The co-founders just didn't have that, right? They wanted to put out a project that was fun and fresh and kid-friendly and could evolve over time. So this co-founder is still going to maintain their cool cats. As far as I know, they're not like selling out of the project. It's just that they're no longer going to be involved in daily operation. They're going to go step back and do their own thing. So if I'm a cool cats holder, I'm not taking this as bearish news. How would you interpret it? Along the same lines, I don't see this as a negative. Um, a lot of co-founders, well, when they come into an industry, they probably have a timeline in their head of what they're looking for, what they're trying to do. And if they're not going to do the day-to-day operations, it's to hire somebody that can do it and bring it to the next level. And they did that. So uh, I see this as a moment of whoever this co-founder is deciding how they want to move forward within the organization. Uh, but obviously, they don't want to do it at a capacity that is um, on a day-to-day. So again, I don't see it as a negative either. Yep. And I happen to agree. So that is going to wrap up last week in the metaverse for us and take us right into what you came here for. Our predictions for 2022 and 2023. Now we are going to do a quick retrospective because we do want to look back at the year and see what happened from our predictions and talk about it a little bit. And then we will dive into, after reviewing a quick scoreboard update, what we see coming for 2023. So let's and jump real off. quick before yeah. we jump into it. I do want to call out for all those who are listening to our podcast. We really appreciate that. But if you have not done it yet, come check us out on YouTube. Uh, you can see Steve sporting a really nice uh, sweater. Uh, I myself am doing the same. Uh, I believe Steve is uh, repping ETH while today I'm repping Bitcoin. But you come, come, come check us out. I think I think you'll get a good laugh out of it. Yeah, there's a little funny story about that. Just to put it in there. La- last year when we were filming our predictions episode, um, in the in the lead up to it, we were doing a ton of planning. We also did what we called the CC Awards. And that was because the year was pretty successful. Like we wanted to reflect back on it, award some people, and like really think positively about what had happened. This year we're not doing the CC Live Awards, so we decided to just kind of run with it and with our predictions, uh, because the year was not that great, uh, to say the least. But when we were planning that episode last year, I said, like, look, we need to go out and get like crypto themed Christmas sweaters. So um, if you are joining us over on YouTube, um, I'm going to take down our, our deck real quick. Like this is what we're talking about. Like it's, it's straight up like an Ethereum and a Bitcoin 
uh, ugly Christmas sweater. And it's the fun, it's just, it's hysterical. So we decided to run with it again this year and we're going to continue to bring it back every year um, for this specific episode. So let's jump into the gift that keeps on giving. And that is the review of last year's predictions and determining who took the crown in 2022. So our first set of predictions, we went with this theme of surprising prices. Now, Richard, you chose Cosmos hitting $100 by 2023. I chose Solana crashing to $13.50 after reaching a $250 blow off top. And our um, friend Chris had predicted helium to 220 I'm sorry to $200 by 2023. Here is how that turned out. Why don't you run us through it? So, obviously Cosmos did not go up uh, to $100. It's actually probably a tenth of that. Um, Solana uh, has crashed well below 1350, um, went all the way down, I believe, closer to 5. Um, is back above that. Um and helium definitely didn't go to 200. It got up to, I believe, all-time high of around 50 and is now sitting, I think, below five, uh, 10, might be near $3. So a lot has happened. Uh, obviously, when we made these predictions, it was during a lot different times, a lot more bullish. Um, Steve definitely had some more insight into seeing what was going on with Solana. It'd be interesting to go back and hear why and how you made that call. Um, I'm still very bullish on Cosmos. I think there's still a lot of amazing things in the pipeline for it. Um, but all crypto suffered this year. Yeah, look, I, I want to make it super clear. Like when we recorded this and you had said that prediction for Cosmos, I wasn't for it, but I am absolutely a bull about Cosmos. I love what they're doing. I just didn't see that as like what was definitely going to happen. At the time, I remember why I, why I said that Solana would crash to 1350 and basically hit a true 95% retrace. And it was very specifically because I believed that there was too much technologically wrong behind the scenes. We saw so many different times where like the network went down and it was there were just like reasons upon reasons upon reasons for why the network wasn't working and it should have been. To me, that's what I see is something that is a bearish indicator and will hit a project really hard when the market sentiment absolutely flips. And it did. It absolutely flipped to a negative sentiment. And I think that when people get bearish, they tend to get really, really damn bearish. So that one panned out. Let's jump into the next one. Why don't you walk us through what we picked for trending narratives in 2022? So I picked yield farming will surge during DeFi winter in early 2022. Uh, Steve picks ZK rollups will be Ethereum scaling solution of choice and DAOs will become the new VCs. And then Chris selected Solana will replace Ethereum as the preferred platform for NFTs. Oh, how the mighty have fallen, Chris, if you're listening to this. Um, the review on this one is we were all dead wrong. So I'm, I'm, I want to unpack this and like figure out why it was that we were so off. So as it relates to your prediction... Do you recall your logic on thinking that like yield farming would surge during DeFi winter in early 2022 and why that actually didn't pan out? So we kind of had a like disagreement on like, I think this is like halfway true. And what happened in the beginning of the year as prices started going down, people looked to different, both yield farming and just DeFi plays. So looking at places where you can get higher APY and start putting your money there. So even though if the price is going down, if you're a long time, Hodler of it, you wanted to at least be making more of it. Now, where that quickly fell off the rails is as soon as the Terra Luna 
crash happened and Celsius, everything else, people said, I'm out. Like started getting all the money off of all of that. And so, uh, and with the declining market as rapidly as it did, it's, it's, it was harder for people to want to take on as much risk in some of these yield farming solutions. So that's why we ultimately we decided, yeah, it just, it didn't happen. How about you for the ZK rollups? The ZK rollups one was a tricky one too, because I do believe that like this is half right as well. And I think that when we look at the scoreboard, I'm pretty sure I rewarded half points to both of us on this one because I was feeling generous. Um, but essentially, we determined that in this case, like DAOs haven't really stepped up to the level of what we could call them, where we could call them the new VCs. Like I believe in the DAO investment club model completely. I think it's a really strong model that more small scale investment groups and private equity are starting to use. But it's not to the level where we can really say like DAOs are the new VCs, right? It's still all yeah. very experimental. I like we may have jumped we may have jumped the gun on that one for sure. But the half right part of it is the ZK rollups part of it. Yeah. And I think that I made a, an adjustment at mid-year, which we'll review at the end. Uh, that said that ZK rollups and optimistic rollups will become Ethereum's scaling solutions of choice. That part I know I hit. Um, so we'll go ahead and carry this one forward. Chris's was easy. Um, yeah, Solana had NFTs take off, but it, across NFTs, no network is going to replace Ethereum. It's just not. It's not how it's going to happen. They're all going to coexist. There are there they just are like it's it's going to be very very clear to people over time especially as Ethereum starts scaling and they introduce sharding that it's an efficient network it works so there's no need to like run away from it we're headed for a multi multi chain future so let's jump into our next set our next set was under this <laughs> this terrible terrible banner of the end is nigh where we were basically making a very bearish prediction because a lot of people believe that 2023 was going to be a bearish year. They just weren't sure that it was going to be three or four or five black swans bearish. So uh, 2022, yeah. Uh, 2022 yeah, is going to be, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, <laughs> so your end is nigh style prediction was the bull market will officially peak in January of 2022. I said that Ethereum 2.0 and the XRP verdict will trigger the blow off top. And Chris said that Cardano will crash below 50 cents following the blow off top. Now, there were some definite logistical pieces to this that made the verdict on them what it ended up being. So let's dive into the results. You and I were wrong. Chris was right. I'm going to give Chris credit here. I'm pissed at him that he was right. But... Cardano did in fact crash below 50 cents following the blow off top that occurred in November of 2021. So Richard explain why both of ours were wrong with that in mind. Yeah. So uh, along the course of this, I've, I put that the bull market will peak in January. I thought because basically it peaked in November, January was a down, uh, December was a down month. And I thought, that it was going to go back up in January. And that's where we're, we're going to see the top. And then we're going to see a mass sell-off. I was off by two months. Turns out November was the top. And then from November, it just went straight down month over month. So that's how I missed it. Whereas in my case, um, the XRP verdict got pushed off and ETH 2.0 wasn't going to save a market that was already, as we say, hashtag down bad. 
Um, so let's jump into the next set. The next set, um, I believe, was our our final set of predictions before we did our mid-year review. And in this, it was kind of like our biggest, boldest prediction. It was like, we're ready to go big or go home on these. Let's see who, like what hill we're going to die on um, in 2022. So why don't you take us through it? So I predicted that institutions will move investments into crypto from traditional finance before the third interest rate tapering. Uh, Steve predicted the second half of 2022 will be uh, will mark the beginning of a huge wave of crypto mergers and acquisitions. And then Chris predicted that TikTok will give creators tools to turn content into NFTs by partnering with an NFT leader. And here's how that turned out. We were both right and Chris was wrong. Here's why. Yours was pretty much spot on because like before the third interest rate tapering was the immediate mark where they stopped, right? Institutions like were starting to actually make those moves and rate about the third interest rate taper. Um, they said, yeah, we need to get a, like way more conservative and started pulling back. So you had, you had points on the board there. In my case, this is going to relate to something we're going to talk about a little bit later. And that is the, the second half of 2022 did in fact mark the beginning of a huge wave of crypto M&A. You saw players like OpenSea acquiring Gem. You saw Uniswap acquiring Genie. There were NFT projects merging left and right and center. And even bigger projects started to create these partnerships that eventually became mergers. So... Points were on the board for both of us there. Pretty happy to figure out that we nailed that one. Um, the reason why Chris's went sideways, I think, was because he didn't pick Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, Chris. No points on the board there. But let's jump back into what we said for the revised outlook. You had made a pick saying that Cosmos would move to 75 by 2023. Real quick, we got to give yep. context of when we revised this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, that is 100% true. So we made this video back in May, right? It was May 9th. Early May. like Yeah, it was May, May 9th. And then on May 12th, what happened, Richard? Ooh, Terra Luna crash. Yeah. So we did this literally three days before the crash. And it was kind of brutal in hindsight being like, wow, we just, yeah, that happened. Um, so you, you had said Cosmos to $75 by the end of 2023 as a revision from your $100 bet. Um, you also said the next bull cycle will come in June or July of 2022 and that the new Bitcoin all-time high would hit by 2023. And how'd that go, Rich? Oh, they all went belly up. So again, for the context... You, when you look at that early May, you had January, February, March, pretty tough months. And then April, is, things started to turn back around. Things were starting to pick back up, starting to build back momentum, feeling a lot more optimistic. Um, and then again, a couple of days after we made this, it, it, it just didn't happen. It was the exact opposite, unfortunately. So all of these missed. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, what's wild is like you also had a confluence of other events happening like at the same time. Like in the NFT market, you had um, the other side deeds dropping. And that pulled an insane amount of liquidity out of the market. Same thing with Moonbirds. So you, with all of that liquidity pull, the ability for the market to recover despite everything that happened with Terra Luna 
it just wasn't going to happen. It, there was too much locked up. So hindsight's twenty twenty on that. Here's what I said. As I told you a little bit earlier on, I revised the prediction to ZK and optimistic rollups would become ETH's scaling solution of choice and DAOs would become the new VCs. Basically, that one's half right. Um, so I also said Solana will fall out of the top 10 coins in terms of market cap. I believe that is now sitting at 16. So that one was right. The first one was half right. And the last prediction that I had made was two more NFT bull cycles before the end of 2023, which was wrong. Um, there were not because everything had happened, just as I was saying with other side um, and a couple other projects that came out that just didn't have enough liquidity in the market for it all to kind of pick up into another microcycle. But when I say bull cycles for NFTs these days, I really do mean microcycles. I believe that the NFT market operates on a much more condensed means of operation than the rest of crypto. So we see these bigger waves in terms of overall market liquidity and volume way more often than you see in the larger crypto market. So that was how those panned out. Now the question is, what does the scoreboard say? And of course, we've got the meme up on screen for you. If you're not joining us on, um, on YouTube, folks, you're missing out. Um, the scoreboard this time around said that across our predictions for the year, including our adjustments at mid-year, um, Richard had one and a half answers correct. I had three and a half. And that basically comes out to 25% accuracy for Richard and 58% for me. So in terms of college grading scales, we both suck. But in terms of the way that prediction works for like an annual prediction game that we run, um, I'm actually pretty proud of us. Like we kind of have, have, a, have a certain amount of know-all about the industry and like where it can be headed. Um, I'm just really interested to see what happens with our predictions for 2023. But real quick, yeah. got to give it up to Steve for being the first annual prediction winner. So shout out to Steve. Um, congrats. And it just goes to show that, you know, we really do put in a lot of time to understand what's going on in the market. But as, as well-versed in as much information as we're giving out, no one knows. We, no one knows. Like even other people who are coming out here, like making a bunch of bold predictions, like this was out of six different types of predictions that we made. If we sat down and made a hundred predictions, yeah, we're going to get quite a few right. Let's, let's call it somewhere between like percentage-wise, if it's somewhere between 20 and 40%, great, you got four of them right, but the other 60, like point being is that we're not all like we're not trying to show like show that like oh we just have to be right about things we're trying to give really good reasoning on why we are thinking the way that we're thinking and, and why we're molding uh our thought around where the industry is headed but ultimately we don't know but we're trying to get as close as we can to it and so the goal is hopefully year after year we get closer and closer to that goal and we can keep educating you so if you have ideas you can put them in the comments tell us why we're wrong or tell us why we're right and together we can figure out this market. Yeah. And look, if you're feeling super generous at home, feel free to also include in the comments um, your thoughts on who is more accurate across the last year, us or Jim Kramer. Because I can tell you for sure, it's us. Um, it's one of my favorite things across this past year. You look at the number of predictions he's made and like basically his predictions are counter trade opportunities. That's all that they are. Oh, dude, someone made an inverse ETF for Kramer and it's crushing. It's, it's absolutely crushing it. That is so freaking funny. Um, the last note that I will make on last year's prediction scoreboard is, man, 
I really wish that I had included um, some type of stipulation in our contract that said that um, my bonus would be somewhat contingent on my predictions rating. <laughs> and if I beat you out on that. Um, but alas, I did not. Uh, and we will go on with our predictions for 2023. Let's see if I can get that in the contract this year. There so Richard, why don't you take us through um, surprising prices, the return of this category? What is your prediction for this year? So my prediction for the year is Polygon Matic going to $2. So the reason why I'm going in this direction, Polygon has been going on a partnership tear this year. Regardless of it being a bear market, Polygon out here making these huge steps forward with all kinds of big major brands and bridging them into the world of Web3. Um, they have really good tech. They're constantly innovating. Uh, they're, they're helping to bring on devs to come and build on top of their platforms. They are providing grants for people to be incentivized to come and build on their platforms. And uh, right now, I think the price is uh, roughly around 90 cents. Um, so, I mean, from here about an end of next year, we're talking about a 2x, even if we're in extended bear. Like, I don't think that is out of the the question, especially as more and more of these major uh, companies and brands potentially start building on top of Matic. So uh, that's going to be my call for the year. And my call for the year is going to be a twofer. So I'm going to I'm going to just go ahead and double down. I am picking that the Flow blockchain will move to four dollars, and Chain XCN will go to fifteen cents. Now, I just want to make sure I'm providing the most accurate read on this as we go into um, the next year. But we are starting out right now with a price of $0.92 cents for Flow. And I believe XCN was right around $0.15. Cents. Wait, no, no. Sorry, that's where I believe they're headed. Um, again, I want to, I'm really dead set on making sure that we're as accurate as possible on these for this year. Um, XCN is at 3.5 cents. So my rationale here in why I believe that you can see flow making an insane rebound and you can see chain making effectively a 5x is because partially of their market caps, but also because of their leadership. Um, I really do believe that flows blockchain is going to be a major player in the NFT world. They've already made it on to every single major exchange. Um, they were they were such a long-term holdout on Coinbase, man. That was that was a wild ride. Um, I thought they were going to get it listed before the end of last year. I think that was something that you and I discussed back in like 2021. And yeah, yeah. I think what it, it took until like August or September of this year. Yeah, it took yeah. an extremely long time. And for context, for those who don't know Flow, if you've heard of like NBA Top Shelf, that's one of their big things. Yeah, so they they are massively connected. Their founder was the original um, developer behind CryptoKitties. They've done a ton in the space. And they've got a lot more in the can from what I understand. They've got a lot more partnerships with big sports leagues to deploy more products like Top Shot. Um, I believe they already tested something with the NFL and with UFC. And Chain, I believe, is going to be... Um, a major player in business blockchains and private blockchains. So we're going to jump into the next set of um, predictions while my dog has his thing. Richard, why don't you take the next set? All right. So next up, um, we have trending narratives. So bold predictions and trending narratives. And for this, 
I am talking about harsh regulation, and I'm going to say specifically as it relates uh, to the U.S. Um, in response to the crash of FTX and everything that's going to happen over the trial over the next year or couple of years, because these things take a while when Enron went down. I think it took uh, almost a year and a half before like, you know, actual court and all that kind of stuff kind of settled out, I imagine. And, and that was with them being audited and having everything pretty much put in line for them to go do all the due diligence, get all the proper documentations to everything else. Just getting all of that could take longer. So it could be a couple of years before the dust settles and the final hearings are done for FTX. But in response to all of this, um, I do believe we're going to see some harsh regulation around the world of crypto. You're going to start seeing um, some regulation that's going to make it a lot harder for centralized exchanges. So I want to make that clear too, that I'm saying that as it relates to centralized US-based crypto centralized exchanges are going to get some hardcore regulations. And I think what Canada just did is a really good Founding uh, foundation, a good starting point of things that they can start doing. But I think you start to see stuff like that um, being put into place. Um, and where that is tough, especially if they were to potentially just take away leverage, uh, there's places like uh, Kraken and some of these others that offer leverage trading. Um, that's not going to make your everyday trader very happy, but for your everyday investor that probably doesn't use leverage anyway, it's, it is protecting them. So um, I think that is something that will happen um, in 2023. I think it's worth noting that like you cannot have a leverage ban without the requ the requirement of segregated funds. And you also at the very same time can't allow leverage without segregated funds. That was the biggest piece of the Canada story that I was like buying into. I think that to set re to set requirements that all user funds must be segregated, like that is pivotal. So whether we see it truly pin out as the same as it happened in Canada here in the United States, your call is for harsher regulation on centralized exchanges in the US. I look forward to seeing if this one comes true. I hope it does. We need it. My prediction on trending narratives this year is similar to one that I had last year. And that is that I believe we're really, really going to see a major wave of mergers and acquisitions across specifically this year, NFTs and the metaverse. These projects, they just cannot continue to exist solely on their own merit. They can't. We're going to start seeing IP ecosystems come together. Um, I know that a lot of people have been talking about it forever. That since you saw the other side launch, that you'd see more properties falling under the banner of Yuga. You have since seen like five, right? You've got CryptoPunks, you've got MeBits, you have all of the properties under WeNew Labs, which includes 10KTF and uh, Renga. That's great. It's a good start. But a lot of people have wondered if the next targets will be, you know, projects like Cool Cats or World of Women. And I believe that it's inevitable. Do I think that World of Women's really going to be the one? No, I don't. I think that World of Women is going to likely end up teaming up with another, you know, women-based project because a lot of the time you see those types of projects banding together, whether it's women-led or social impact-led or just kid-based, right? 
they have to band together because they're stronger together than they are apart. So I'm really curious to see what happens there. Um, but we already saw a major partnership happen and a merger um, and acquisition happen at the end of 2022 that we reported on in Meta Angels and Hug. And I believe that that's the same exact type of stuff that we're going to see. And we're going to see more um, service providers as well involved in that. So like, when I talk about service providers, I'm talking about the apps, right, that are tracking software for your, your portfolios. You're going to see a number of those start to merge because their teams need to consolidate. Because if they want any one or two of them to really succeed and take off, they're going to need more power behind making one really phenomenal solution. So I believe in market competition. I think we're going to continue to see market competition. But I believe that it's going to have to be driven by a big, big wave of mergers and acquisitions. And I imagine that's also going to affect some metaverses as well. So let's jump into our bold predictions in a new category. And that is all things NFTs. You know, I'm pumped up about this one. I like <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned about myself in 2022, it's that like, my heart lives in the NFT world. So why don't you go ahead and share your prediction for all things NFTs? So for all things NFTs, I believe institutional investors will begin backing um, NFT infrastructure. So more and more of these large companies and even countries, uh, I think we reported in the last couple of weeks how in certain countries, they're trying to say that, you know, NFTs are legal, that they're property. In China, they, they said that they're legal property. In Malaysia, uh, you have that they're trying to separate and put a specific thing uh, um, within, um, and it, sorry, it wasn't Malaysia. It was um, another country in Greece. Uh, it starts with an M, but I, I digress. That they're, huh? Hold up. Did you just say another country in Greece? Near Greece, near Greece. Another country near Greece, um, um, where basically what they're trying to do is is carve out a special place just for NFTs, and so you're getting this buy-in from these big institutions because they're seeing all of the various ways and use cases where NFTs can be uh, successful. Uh, you're looking anywhere from real estate to how Starbucks already is dropping a rewards program on top of Polygon um, and continuing to to build out different things there. So I really think that these institutions are going to find some different like infrastructural plays like Flow and some of these others. And instead of like trying to go on a lot of different blockchains where they can basically say, hey, platform, this is my vision. I want you to now go build and help me execute on it. That's where I think money is really going to start getting poured into instead of... Um, ABC company trying to make their own blockchain, build NFTs on it and have it live in their world. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to look for some really good infrastructural places where they can set the vision and then people can build it for them on top of it. So just to make sure that I'm hearing you right, you're referring more so to the pick and shovel plays within NFTs. That's kind of that's kind of like where your head's at. It's going to be the institutions are going to start looking at backing those players. Yes. Okay. Yeah, to me, the ones that stand out there, um, like you said, Flow is a good one. I think Chain's a good one as well. They've already started doing some really interesting stuff with like NFT infrastructure. Um, but I also think of projects like Engine and Super Farm. So for what it's worth, like do some more research into those types of plays. I think it's a good, good thought process. 
Um, but even some smart contract deployers, right? Because we get, we have to, in this world, we need to make the deployment of smart contracts easier. And the play that I think of there immediately is Manifold. Manifold.xyz is doing tremendous things for making it easier for artists to jump into um, the NFT and digital art landscape. So I think it's a good pick. I wouldn't be surprised if we started seeing that happen next year. So um, I think it's a great prediction. Mine is going to be an interesting play. Hollywood makes a play into kid-friendly IP. That, of course, is, you know, given an example of Doodles and Cool Cats, and I would also, you know, put OCM Karma in there, among others. But I believe that next year, we're going to really see Hollywood start to realize that they have a real content problem. And I think they've started to recognize it this year. But next year, they're going to realize it and at the same time acknowledge that they have a solution that lives in the NFT world. I'm so convinced that Hollywood is out of like their own ideas. Original ideas no longer exist in Hollywood. It's we're going to reboot everything, right? It's and, a new. And if they do make an original, it costs a gazillion dollars. Exactly, right? You saw what they did with the Avatar sequels. You've seen them try to build off, you know, different concepts from different uh, cinematic u- universes like Marvel and DC, and like it's all the same shit, just spun a different way. Original content is what gets viewers excited. Just is. And by the way, I'm just going to put this out there. Um, the Witcher series on Netflix is the exact same shit. Because they just they just are about to drop their spinoff series. And I'm telling you right now, it's not going to be good. I'm very, 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 very locked in on that one. I digress. I think it has to start with kid-friendly IP. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced it has to start with kid-friendly IP because that generation is going to be the first real generation that normalizes digital collectibles. Our generation and Gen Z, they're pretty aware of NFTs at this point. They know what the NFTs are. Whether they like them or not is irrelevant. But now that the language is starting to shift towards, towards digital collectibles that generation is going to be largely demanding of it. And this is the way for Hollywood to reconnect. So my bet is on that. And again, I'm calling it on kid-friendly NFT projects and IP at large. That means it can be Doodles, it can be Cool Cats, it can be five or 10 other different kid-friendly plays, including Deadfellas. It's not going to be all of them, okay? I lump Doodles into that category because I believe that Doodles is a playful art style. But I also am just as aware that across that collection, not every single piece is kid-friendly. So you need to be aware of that. And I think they're trying to remedy that in Doodles too. So that's kind of my prediction. It's more so like the category at large. But those are just some examples of the products that I think fit the category. So let's jump into our next prediction category, which is where... Where is the metaverse? Um, this is going to be an interesting one. Richard, why don't you give us your prediction? Yeah, and also the reason why we picked this topic. So everyone kept talking about metaverse, metaverse, metaverse in, in 2000, last year before we got into 2022. And so as we look into what's going to be happening, because there hasn't been just a ton that's like come out in this capacity, we're saying like, how does this continue to move forward? 
So I'm saying in the metaverse, especially when you look at what's happening, a lot of it has to do with gaming. That's you are one of the first bridges over there. And I'm saying goodbye to play to earn. Uh, I think a lot of lessons have been learned from Axie Infinity and some of these others where it's hard to keep someone incentivized when the only reason that they're there to play the game is to earn money. Not to play the game, not because it's fun, but to earn money. I think that model's going to die. So we're going to say goodbye to it. And we're going to say hello to augmented reality. So we saw what happened during COVID when you had the very first augmented reality type game hit the market, right? Pokemon Go. Imagine if within that, you could have been making money while doing it, right? So you're, 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 you're moving to earn or you're, you're actively going out and doing things and then the process and you're also able to earn money or you have these NFTs that are now rare that you can now go trade on a marketplace and do other things. I think that there's a real special place in the augmented reality world. And I think that's what's going to be that real bridge to really get people's mind wrapped around metaverse because a lot of when people talk about the metaverse, you either have to have a really good computer and be playing it like a video game like that, or you have to have on goggles. And a lot of people, I think we're still a ways away from that being uh, the main play. Look at Facebook, changed their name to meta. They invested all this money into it. Still haven't gotten that far. It's going to take some time to get there. That's why I think augmented reality could be that bridge and get people there faster. So I think augmented reality is going to be the real play on the metaverse in 2023. There was a really interesting tweet that I know that you didn't see um, that came out like in the last day. And it was put out by our friend AJT from Truth Labs and Upstream. And it speaks exactly to what you're predicting here. And it's not so on the nose to say that like, it's going to definitively be augmented reality. But it's about bridging from the concepts that we saw in Play to Earn to a much more engaged metaverse and like an experience that bridges between physical and digital. So I want to read this real quick because I think that you'll see where I'm coming from and why I think it's relevant. AJT said, recently I've been fascinated with upgrading NFTs by leveling them up with work, activity, etc. Think leveling up on Pokemon Go or World of Warcraft. Applying that to NFTs and allowing people to make their NFT more valuable with effort. Anyone doing anything interesting here? To me, when I think about play to earn, and the reason why I find this relevant is it's been about like what you can make from playing a game, right? The transition to augmented reality doesn't necessarily mean that you're wearing goggles and like you'll see overlaid digital things in the real world. It's just as much like the things that you do in the real world that it can affect the growth of the digital world that you also interact with. And that's why like, I, I see games like Pokemon Go is taking off and I would be absolutely stunned to see like in the next year that that doesn't take off. Um, I, I immediately said back to AJT's tweet, if you're saying that like the Illuminati pyramids are shells and shells imply that you can do more with them or improve them, that makes them dynamic, upgradable NFTs. I see what you did there. Yeah, dude, you're you are so on the same exact wavelength, and I love it. I think it's going to be a big play in the next year. I'm curious how far they can take it in that time. Uh, I'm going to make mine really, really easy, and I'm going to try and make it as concise as possible. Um, you may have heard of OnCyber. OnCyber is a big metaverse gallery um, software and metaverse platform now that is supporting Punk 6529's um, open metaverse concept. 
I believe that 2023 is going to be the year that that on cyber and the open metaverse basically jump into the top three metaverses discussion. And it's going to happen fast. Um, the fact that on cyber was tapped by Macy's for the Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade already to me is like a, a very good indicator. But I think by the end of 2023, the open metaverse concept is going to be one of the front runners. And it's going to be one of the reasons why ultimately Facebook's Horizon platform is going to fail. Because it's just going to happen really fast. Um, it's a great platform. It's, it's really, really intuitive. The graphics are clean. It's pretty realistic. And as soon as they actually implement avatars that are like human form factor, I think that they would be very quickly in the same realm as Sandbox and Decentraland and Wilder World. Wilder World still has a lot to prove, but they too can be among the top three in my opinion. So we'll see how that one shakes out over the year, but I think that's a pretty interesting bet. Um, okay, where's the bottom, Rich? Tell me. Where's the bottom? One of the questions that comes up a lot for us. I was like, we got to make it a topic. Let's talk about it, right? We want to talk about last year. We knew we were, we were in a, a bull market. Thought it was going the other way. So we have to talk about where's the top. So of course, now we've got to do the other side of it. So where's the bottom? I think we are going to see the bottom in January. Hear me out. So between all the Black Swan events that have happened this year, when when the FTX stuff happened and everything else, you saw Bitcoin go down to 15,000 and immediately go back to 17. So that tells me that when they were having to the FTX to get liquid to do everything else, when they were having to sell some of their Bitcoin, when they're having to sell Solana, all this other stuff uh, to try to make right on, on what was owed, for the price to not be really being driven down right now, that means we're getting really close to an inflection point between your hardcore Bitcoin hodlers, doesn't matter what's going on. I see this as the future I'm never selling ever. And people who need liquidity, people who are at, at what point it's like, all right, if it goes below this, I just got to sell it just because I need to cover uh, money I owe or something. Usually you have some, some sort of leverage on it. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be selling it because you're selling it at um, a loss. So because we are pretty close to this, I think it's going to happen in Q1. Um, I'm in between January and February, but I think that January could be that moment. And I think it's also going to be tied to what I think uh, we're going to, another event, which is the next section. So I'll, I'll reserve the rest of that thought to there, but I'll explain why I think um, we see that moment happen in January in a moment. I think that if there's one thing that this category says is that like you and I are very much on the same page that this is going to be something that happens in the first half of 2023. I think that the prediction that neither of us are making is how long the bear market continues from there. And I'm curious what you have to say about that really, really quick. Like, how long do you think that we're ultimately going to go sideways? I think a while because what's different about from, from 18 to 20 here is that like, Basically, 2018 was a, just a giant sloop down. And then 19 to 20 was basically up, down, like sideways, like, you know, doing some some crevices. I think 2023 could mirror what happened in 2019. So I think we're going to be like, yeah, things might go back up a little bit. But like, I think it's an extended bear before we really see the next pump going into the next Bitcoin happening. So, man, 
I think we could easily be there for the next 12 to 18 months, which sucks to say out loud. Yeah, it's a brutal, brutal realization to have for sure. Um, I will tell you that I think that you are probably right, though I do see a situation where we start to raise out of the sideways momentum by the end of the year. Um, there, there's like one or two situations where I th- where I see that as possible, but I do believe that it just it's going to take going sideways for that long in like an elongated recovery for us to really find stability and grow. Um, but that being said, my prediction is very much in line with yours, just a little different. I believe that the bottom is going to happen in March and it's going to give us flash crash deja vu of 2020, right? Because in 2020, we had the COVID crash. That was the true market bottom. At which point we then saw the insane rip that put us up to $60,000 Bitcoin in the end of 2021. I have a feeling, and this is is really just like me looking at the global um, foreign policy situation and just trusting my gut, that if history is our guide, February, March, April are months where like, typically speaking, like, bad shit tends to happen in those months. Um, I still remember back when I was in um, middle school, and I'm sure that you remember this because you're like in the same exact age range as me. Like there were just like a bunch of really bad reports that started coming out. Like one after the other, just really, really bad things were happening. And then a couple years later, the same sort of stuff happened in the same part of the year. Don't know what it is. It's like things anchor around March and April. But I do genuinely believe that something is going to happen. Some type of black swan, whether it's a world event or it's something that's crypto-centric, is going to happen. And that's going to be the thing that crashes the market quickly. And that's going to ultimately settle our bottom. We will then go sideways, like you said, for a while. Um, We'll talk about what I may or may not believe that black swan might be. But there is just as much of a chance that it's something with world powers. Um, I don't want to speculate on that too far. But let's jump into our our second to last category, which is another super depressing category. What is it with us? Um, we have decided to attack this prediction of black swan hunting and figuring out, okay, we had so many this year. What else could happen? Like, could it really get worse? Um, I think we both agreed like, yeah, it could definitely get worse. So let's talk about it. What do you think is the biggest potential black swan for 2023? My black swan event is tether collapsing. Um, I think a lot of people in a lot of ways think that this is an inevitability. It's just like, how far can we kick this can down the road before the, the chickens come to roost? And tether can't show proof of reserves. Can't do it. So at what point when they get called out on that, does everything start to crash and burn? Um, the USDC, which is uh, powered by Circle, Circle has to be able to prove their proof of reserves. They're, they're very much looked at by the United States and everything else. And I, I, just looking at Tether, Tether doesn't really have that in place. And so if for some reason 
something happens at Binance or some other major exchange and like a lot of their money sitting on Tether and they need to sell their Tether and, and the price starts to depeg, all this other kind of stuff. Imagine all the other companies and other stuff that have USDT on their books. It's going to affect a ton of people. I think that moment happens in January uh, just based on, unfortunately, some speculation around some things going on at Binance. Binance recently felt their audit. I think people are starting to dig deeper into that. And if for a ton of Tether got moved uh, onto Binance the other day, they might be selling it. So again, uh, if there was to be a Black Swan event that I could see happening and not happening uh, later, but pretty soon it's Tether collapsing. And if Tether collapses, it doesn't matter what's going on. I think that's when we see that flash crash down that I think everyone's still waiting on and anticipating. How far down does the whole market go? Not sure. But I think after that happens and that, that settles, I think that's when we start to get on the other side of it. We start to level off. And, and that's the story of how Richard's connection high. for this episode dropped. Um, I agree with him. I think that we are going to see that exact situation play out. I think Tether collapses and it could absolutely happen in the beginning of this next year. Let me go ahead and just say for Richard, because I'm sure that he was going to take it there, that there could also be a number of different things that pan out um, with the SBF case and more that we hear from behind the scenes in terms of collusion or other problems. There's just a chance and it's a chance that we cannot ignore. So I'm going to share my prediction for um, 2023's Black Swan. And that is that SBF is granted an immunity deal. And sentiment in the market gets so freaking bad that we see a, a flash crash. And I do believe that that is exactly what is going to happen in March. It's tied to my last prediction. I just have a really gross feeling in my gut that says we are going to see some really insane stuff come out of the SBF trial. And he's only going to let that stuff come out if he's granted immunity. And he's going to drag a lot of people down with him. So again, is it a little out there that you know we could see this guy who's charged with crimes that would put him in jail for up to 115 years get an immunity deal? Yeah, it's insane. It, it really is. But if you think about what black swans are, black swans are insane. Okay, like nobody predicted that Luna would go insolvent and Three Arrows Capital would go insolvent and BlockFi would fail. And after picking up all of the debt and buying up all the projects across the last year, that FTX would fail and go insolvent. Insane stuff happens, guys. That's, that's all I can tell you. Insane stuff in this market happens. So you just have to kind of roll with the punches. And for me, if I'm going to make a big prediction, I'm going to say that SPF gets granted immunity and we see the market completely go upside down. So we'll see where it goes from there. But let's dive into our last set of predictions and see if we can recover Richard's audio and video along the way. Um, I'm going to share Richard's bold prediction, go big or go home for 2023. And that is near the Bitcoin bottom, institutional money will rush in and buy up a flash crash. So this means essentially across the year, big institutional buyers and institutional capital will come in and buy up what is ultimately going to be a flash crash to the bottom. 
we both are big believers that like flash crash is coming. It's going to happen. That's going to be where we find a bottom. It's happened in all three of the last cycles. It's just a matter of when it actually happens. So I kind of buy into this with him. I think there's a pretty good chance of it. I won't say that it's a locked in chance because there's just as much of a chance that institutional money stays out and that flash crash ultimately gets bought up by retail. Um, as of right now, when you talk about like the, in- the interest rates and the fluctuation that you have going on with the Fed, when, inst- when the Fed raises rates or they start to cut rates back, the money that's on the sidelines doesn't necessarily have to rush back into risk assets. It can do a number of different things to redeploy um, for better long-term gain. In this case, there's a chance it may come back into crypto, but I'm not totally sold that it's going to come into Bitcoin. So we'll have to see how that one plays. But my go big or go home prediction for 2023 is finally, after long wait, we will see that it is case closed. Ripple wins its battle against the SEC. Um, in the world of ENS, we have this like constant allusion to how crypto is in this true like 10,000 mile death march. And that it's going to be a very painful journey. But those that make it will realize that it was well worth it. I am very convinced at this point that the SEC does not have enough to truly win the case against Ripple. Whether they settle out of court or a judge rules in Ripple's favor, I do believe that we're going to see Ripple walk away from this case the winner. And that is going to be so overwhelmingly good for crypto at large that it's going to be one of the things that ultimately leads to our recovery. So I am damn near convinced that like, especially as it relates to the Howey test and the different things that, you know, the SEC has claimed and the records that they've managed to unseal, they're all going to come together and Ripple is going to win this case. Um, I can't say the same for the rest of the projects the SEC comes after. Okay, and I'm not going to make that claim at all. My big prediction for 2023 is going to be specifically about Ripple. And it's going to also help lead to a lot more regulatory clarity. We cannot keep going on without regulatory clarity. And ultimately, this case has to result in more regulation. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's going to make for a lot more productive of an industry. It's going to allow for a lot more money to come in. So I'm pretty bullish at large about this. We're going to take a quick break um, and come back with Richard in a few for some final parting words. But we do really appreciate you being here. And we will be back with those words after a quick break and a word from our sponsors. Hey, everyone. Just wanted to let you know about all of the amazing content that we're making for you exclusively over on YouTube. You can stay connected to crypto's top stories and trending topics with the Aftershock. Every Wednesday, join cryptocurrent Steve Miller and myself for a brand new discussion on what's going on in the wild world of Web3. If you want to learn more about cryptocurrency and blockchain but don't know where to start, Crypto Decrypted will cover everything from basics and fundamental analysis to the advanced concepts of technical analysis. Join Chris K every Thursday exclusively on YouTube to get this content. 
Finally, if you want to take a deeper dive into the world of NFTs and learn more about all the latest and greatest and what's happening in that space while capturing alpha, join Stephen on NFT Thursdays exclusively on Twitter Spaces on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. We hope you're enjoying our content. And if you're enjoying it, please like, subscribe, share, and leave comments so that we can continue to give you the content to keep you cryptocurrency. All right. Thank you very much to our sponsors for giving us that little bit of a break. Um, Of course, I am now back with Richard to give you some final words for this episode and the year. Richard, before we wrap up, I want to throw it back to you. I did speak about your predictions and kind of gave the audience a little bit of an overview. Did you have any final words that you wanted to speak to on those final two predictions before we wrap things up for the year? So yeah, just to wrap up the Black Swan, I think uh, Tether Collapse could happen uh, at some time in Q1, especially with everything going on uh, with Binance. But we'll see. Uh, If it doesn't happen, great. Uh, do I think it eventually at some point in the future most likely will happen? I do, um, unfortunately. So, um, and then for my last prediction, I don't have the sheet in front of me, so I don't remember, but. Either way, you nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> it's like par for, par for the course for us in uh, 2022. If, if we don't stick the landing, we'll at least do a somersault out of it. So look, the... Long and short of it is like, there's a lot that can happen next year. To me, the question is, what are you at home going to do about it? Right? What are you going to do to become a better Web3 investor, a better member of the Web3 community? And what can you do to help more of your friends, quote unquote, see the light? And I believe there's a lot that we can do. There's a lot of opportunity. So take the time in 2023 to continue to press yourself, learn more, for God's sake, get your assets off of exchanges and put them into a self-custody wallet. Um, There's so much that needs to be done. The question that I have for you before we go relates back to one of my final predictions that I want to make sure that I give you an opportunity to sound off on. And it was probably my most controversial one. It was the one that I didn't tell you about. And that was where I said that I believe that SBF will ultimately be the big black swan in the room. And... It's going to be because he gets um, to make a, I mean, he gets to an immunity deal, and effectively in in striking an immunity agreement, the sentiment in the market shifts so negative that it actually causes a flash crash. What do you think about that? And what and what do you think is going to come of the SBF case in general? Um, I don't think he'll get that opportunity in twenty twenty three. If it if he does get an immunity deal, it's going to have to come like when all this pans out in 2024. Um, and I mean, again, the, the president can pardon whoever they want. So like on his way, uh, you know, depending on what's going on, like a, some stuff could happen, but I don't know, bro. In 2023, him getting immunity after everything that just happened, I just don't see that happening. So like, good luck. I will, I will absolutely not say that I think this is going to happen, but if it does, you know, I will, I will take that. I will absolutely take that. I mean, look, if he gets immunity, you know that like... Oh, it's going to crash. You're right. If if he gets immunity, there's... Yeah, it's... The market is going down. Yeah. So we'll see where it all goes. But for me, that's, that to me is a really interesting discussion as to like where everything goes based on how the SBF case turns out. So we'll see. Um, but I do want to go ahead and remind everybody at home that 
Of course, we are taking a break for the holidays as it relates to the Aftershock. But we do have new interviews coming out in, in and through the new year. So you can, of course, stay tuned here on YouTube and over on all of your podcast platforms of choice to get our interviews that will be coming out every single Monday through the holidays and through the new year. We will be back just after the new year with brand new episodes of The Aftershock. We're really excited to bring them to you and to continue to bring you this show every single week. Um, my question for you, Rich, is what can everybody else look forward to at home um, as it relates to CryptoCurrent and the interviews that are coming up? So um, just as we wrap up the year, we had uh, the final two interviews, uh, I think, are, are, are pretty amazing. Uh, working on a lot of different elements of like where I think things are headed into the crypto market. Like one of them's with a company called Self um, and Self's uh, creating like a universal Web3 fraud prevention, which is pretty important because scammers are going to scam and they continue to do so. Um, and so they put some things in place to help solve that. And then uh, also had uh, Dorgabosh with the Mina Protocol, um, which is the world's lightest blockchain. I did not realize how light Mina Protocol is. It's like a couple of kilobytes. So we're not even talking megabytes, kilobytes, itty bitty. Um, so it's able to move fast and be nimble and they have some really cool things in their pipeline. So two really cool conversations there. But as we go into the next year, uh, anticipate some really, if you weren't able to join us at Agme, we're actually going to be sharing that content with you to start off the new year. Um, so you can hear about all the things that was discussed there. It's actually pretty interesting on one of the conversations around smarter trading. Uh, some of the conversations we're very timely right before FTX collapsed. So reasons why you want to come be part of the conversations, get ahead of, of some of these things and um, also have a ton of content already ready to go lined up at the beginning of next year. So I'm excited for it. Appreciate everyone joining in. And I'm also excited to, you know, keep the conversation going on all the latest news and, and going on with the, with the Aftershock. A lot to look forward to indeed. Um, one final word to those at home. Uh, we do really truly wish that you take the time over the holidays to spend time with your family and enjoy it because the, that is truly the greatest time that you can have with your family. And we'll be doing a lot of that ourselves. So um, wishing you at home a very happy holiday, whichever holiday that is that you celebrate. And we'll see you after the new year. So happy early new year to you. And we're looking forward to a big 2023. Any New Year's resolutions for you, Rich, before we go? Ooh, I haven't even gotten there yet. But uh, the big one will be for 2023 to just stay the course. As far as just put my head down, keep learning, and uh, do not uh, purchase uh, something on speculation that it could immediately go up. I mean, I'm not really doing that anyway, but I don't know, I'm kind of rambling at this point. But the main thing is definitely like keep doing extensive research on all the newer things that are happening in Web3. Well, I think it's a great resolution to end on. Mine is going to be onboard 365 new people into Web3. So we'll see if I can do it. I'm going to keep track. I'll keep a tally and let you guys know. But to those of you at home, we appreciate you. We wish you a very happy new year and a happy holidays. And until next time, we hope that you stay cryptocurrent. We'll see you then. Later. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. This show and any other Cryptocurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes. 